Hey, it's Danielle. Would you like a $50 Amazon gift card? Here is how you enter a chance to win. Right now, Failing Motherhood is turning four years old, and it's almost Mother's Day, so we're doing an annual drive for ratings and reviews, which are huge for search rankings, for potential listeners to find us, and for them to size up the quality of the podcast. So if you have been enjoying Failing Motherhood, whether this is your first few times listening or you've been here the whole time, I'm offering extra incentive to put in a quick two to three sentence review inside Apple. When you leave yours, screenshot it and then send it to me over Instagram DM or email. And I am going to give one listener that leaves a review a $50 Amazon gift card on Mother's Day. We have some really exciting failing fatherhood episodes coming up. So please follow the podcast if you haven't yet and leave that rating or review so that more moms and more parents know they are not alone if they feel like they're failing their child on a daily basis. We need each other and I'm so grateful you are here. Ever feel like you suck at this job? Motherhood, I mean. Have too much anxiety and not enough patience. Too much yelling, not enough play. There's no manual, no village, no guarantees. The stakes are high. We want so badly to get it right. But this is survival mode. We're just trying to make it to bedtime. So if you're full of mom guilt, your temper scares you. You feel like you're screwing everything up and you're afraid to admit any of those things out loud. This podcast is for you. This is Failing Motherhood. I'm Danielle Batman, and each week we'll chat with a mom ready to be real, sharing her insecurities, her fears, her failures, and her wins. We do not have it all figured out. That's not the goal. The goal is to remind you, you are the mom your kids need. They need what you have, you are good enough, and you're not alone. I hope you pop in earbuds, somehow sneak away, and get ready to hear some hope from the trenches. You belong here, friend. We're so glad you're here. Hey, it's Danielle. Buckle up. This is going to be an episode I have been waiting to record for a while, and it's just been dwelling in the back of my mind. Our family has been watching this show on Disney+. Plus. It's called Caesar Milan. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's like a world-renowned dog whisperer. And his show, like one of the taglines is, better humans, better dogs. He goes and he helps these clients kind of rehabilitate their dogs so that they can live more peaceful lives as a family. And to me, it is 100% a parenting show. I cannot help but make direct parallels and I'm like taking notes in my phone as we watch these episodes like a geek and I have had so much just like mulling around in my brain and I'm going to try to recap in this episode one of like the biggest take-home messages that could truly, if you let it sink in and have ripple effects over your relationship with your child, completely transform it in and of yourself just by taking off the glasses that you are currently using and putting on new ones to see their behavior. And I really am not discounting how powerful this is. 
And what I'm talking about is like somehow very revolutionary because it is completely opposite of the way that a lot of behaviors interpret it and the way that we handle, you know, punishment within school settings and even like the whole jail system. I mean, all of it, it's built on these prerequisites that really need to be examined and and rethought from a different lens. And so that's why I love coming at it with this analogy of seeing it through the dog rehabilitation, how we can learn from that and what we can see through that from a new lens. So I can't wait to share it with you today. And if you're new here, my name is Danielle. I am a coach for families with strong-willed kids age 1 to 10. I have a free training that you can jump right into about how to parent your strong-willed child without threats and bribes so that you can break free of guilt, power struggles, and self-doubt. Go ahead and find a link for that in the show notes. And if you are looking to transform your relationship with your strong-willed child, you are in the right place. Schedule a consultation or apply to work with me in my program, Wholeheartedly Calm. Uh, Over three months, we improve your patience, transform the way that you communicate as a family, and meet your child's core needs, which we're going to talk about today. So I titled this episode, Break the Cycle not the one you're thinking of, because a lot of times we think about breaking the cycle as a generational thing, right? And changing the way that you parent based on how you were parented. And that is huge and so important. And I am cheering you on if you are doing that. It is very hard to start from scratch, let alone try to unlearn and relearn all the things that were coded into you like conditioning. So lots and lots of self-compassion there. But I'm going to be talking about a little bit of a different cycle, and that's a behavior cycle. It's a way of viewing behavior that perpetuates the behavior and how to kind of disrupt that dynamic in a long-term way. So back to Caesar Milan. Families come to him in similar ways that they come to me. They are struggling with an out-of-control behavior in their pet or human, and they have come to kind of a breaking point where they've tried all the things they know, it's not working, and they have some sort of imminent goal in the future where they want to start having a family or one of the dog parents is you know, doing lots of work travel coming up and they need to be able to empower their partner or their kids to care for this dog or, you know, there's something where that's like their catalyst for change. And they leave the work with Caesar Milan with a different dog and he says it's because they have a different human. So some of the things that he teaches is that the dog's behavior is a reaction to either learned behaviors or the culture of the home or the vibe that they're getting from their main caregiver, their owner. He teaches these families how to have a much more calm demeanor, how to feel confident, and how to have much more intentional communication with their dog, usually with a lot less words. One of the fascinating things that I was writing down in my notes was that there's an order of understanding where the dog first uses their nose, then they use their eyes, then last they use their ears to hear anything. And what that means is that they sense the energy 
of the owner or the situation first. Then they see what hand symbols are being used or what is happening in the environment with their eyes. Then last, they kind of have something come in where they listen to what's going on and maybe the words that the owner is using. So that means that they need to use a lot less words and come in with a lot more calm and then be able to use short phrases and, you know, hand, hand signals to communicate better, which I just thought was fascinating because that can translate to parenting in a huge way since communication is one of my big three things, right? So that's just an aside, but usually an anxious human is trying to parent or care for a protective, aggressive dog. And that dynamic is coming up because the dog needs a leader. And when the owner's vibe is unsure or nervous or scared, it makes that dog feel like it's on them to protect that owner because clearly danger is imminent. And so then they end up overprotecting and becoming very aggressive, usually trying to protect the owner from like their partner or their kids or just like something that is not even a danger. When they sense hesitation in the owner, then they tend to lash out because deep down they're freaking the heck out because they don't know what's coming and they are just trying to do the right thing and then or they're feeding off of other dogs that are in the pack. But, you know, that makes it seem like it's all the owner's fault. And that is definitely not the case. I feel like it's a case of like the chicken and the egg. So let's look at one of the examples from an episode to kind of illustrate what is happening here. So there was a dog who had developed an eye condition, kind of like, you know, a a constant pink eye where they needed eye drops every day so that they would stop losing more and more eyesight. And of course, the dog's not excited about that and, you know, starts nipping and biting when given the eye drops because the owner has no idea how they're supposed to be giving these eye drops. And it's just a disaster fiasco from the get-go. And then that escalates because now the dog is like panicking all the time. It's getting gunk in their eyes and they are realizing that they're losing eyesight, which makes them even more scared. And that nervous behavior then becomes more escalation of aggression. Now the owner is not able to even give them a bath because they're getting bit all the time. That is making their eyesight worse. And then the human is worrying more. And so then the human gets more and more tense when they go to give the eye drops, when they go to give the bath, because they've been bitten so much. So then, of course, they're going to have anxiety and that energy is going to be palpable to the animal. And that's when, you know, they need the calm energy so that it can subside and the dog can feel secure and safe. But how in the world is that dog owner supposed to be calm in that moment, right? It's like, Of course, they are in actual physical danger trying to do these care tasks for their dog. So that's an entire skill set and problem in and of itself. 
that Caesar addresses to help them do just that, you know, where, where he equips them more and speaks to it and, you know, calms them down on all these things, right? Breathing, breathing, deep breaths is never a bad thing, right? But the dog also, he needs a haircut so that he, the grooming is actually easier and he's less anxious as well. So there's always two sides of the story. And then there's actually a third side too, because in this episode, the husband of the main caregiver for this dog, he didn't help give the baths at all. And when Caesar was talking to him about it, he seemed very insecure as in, he's like, I just don't know how, like the whole thing kind of like freaks me out. And it seemed like to me, he was excluding himself because he just felt very kind of incompetent. Like, I don't know how to do this. And when Caesar's like, well, can I teach you? He was like, yes, I want to learn and actually know how to do it. Please tell me how and I'll be good. Once I know how, I'll be able to do it every time. And then, you know, on the other side, he was like, oh, I never thought I'd be able to do that. This makes me so happy to be able to take care of him in this way. And then, of course, the main caregiver, the um, human mom, was much less anxious about not having to do it alone which helps put everyone at ease, right? Because you need that support, of course. And, you know, I hope you're seeing how this translates to parenting. (laughs) So Caesar's main thing is that a calm, confident leader then unlocks a calm surrender within the animal. And yeah, that sounds like a great takeaway and like sums up everything, but it's very hard. And it's also, it needs to be individualized for every family he has, you know, he works with and is on the show, obviously. So this, we're finally getting to the cycle, the cycle that I wanted to be able to kind of illustrate in this episode. A child's behavior creates a negative perception within their caregiver, that negative perception then perpetuates the behavior in the child. And then the vicious cycle continues and it escalates and escalates and escalates. So I'm going to talk you through this kind of step-by-step of what this looks like and how it escalates and how to kind of identify where you're at in this and what to do differently. Okay. So With the chicken and the egg of how it works with the animal and the caregiver, I feel like it starts with regular old acting out, right? Because that is developmentally appropriate and typical for toddlers and young kids to be finding their voice and just struggling in many, many ways, right? And a lot of times this is due to psychological needs. They're overstimulated. They're exhausted. They're hungry right? Et cetera, et cetera. Some behaviors are just necessary even for development, for them to even understand their identity separate from someone else or to be able to roughhouse, to learn spatial awareness. And all those behaviors have nothing to do with their parent and who their parent is and how they're being parented whatsoever. They're just humaning. They're being a human, right? And I think a lot of times if you are deep into gentle parenting, you can make overwhelming assumptions that your every aspect of your child's behavior is directly correlated to you and that ends up you take a lot of it personally and then you really struggle because 
If they're acting out, it has something to do with your connection. No. Okay, let me hear you. Let me give you this disclaimer right off the bat. Your connection with your child does not determine their behavior. There's correlation, not causation, like a lot of the research, right? So give yourself that break. Give them that break. There's always, there's never going to be a perfect day, never going to be a perfect child, never going to be a perfect parent, right? So let's talk about some of the behaviors that have everything to do with you, who you are as their parent and their relationship with you, especially if there's an established pattern or an escalating pattern of attention-seeking behavior or power-seeking behavior. And you might already know what I mean by that because that's how you're seeing it or how it feels. A lot of this is the sibling rivalry you see very often or the defiance when they're just, you can't get them to cooperate with very simple things and, and you know, that comes up day to day, just asking them to do simple directions, care tasks, that kind of stuff. Aggression with you or others and just anger, right? Just zero to 60 anger that feels like there's got to be a, more of a reason for it because it's irrational and it doesn't seem like it's just a sensitivity, like there's more to the story. They end up acting out because their perception is that you, your attention, your affection, your approval is the most important thing to a child. It's a literal matter of life and death. They have to stay in their family to survive. This is like a, you know, psychological thing, but they know you are a limited resource. You are a scarce commodity and they feel like they need more of it. So they end up figuring out in their mind, making assumptions and drawing connections and connecting the dots between what they do and what works really well to get more of your attention. So you've heard the phrase, they'd rather have negative attention than no attention. Yes, it's very true. If if they are not taught and modeled really healthy ways to get those that need for attention and affection and love met in mutually beneficial ways for both of you, they will find them on their own because they have to. <laughs> it's not a choice in their mind. But this is not a premeditated thing. This is not a calculated thought-based choice where they literally wake up in the morning and choose violence. It is happening almost entirely on the subconscious level. For some kids, they start to think, hmm, I am not getting the attention and affection and approval that I thought I should. I must be wrong. I must be doing something wrong. I will change what I'm doing to please my parents more. Other kids, most of the strong-willed kids, they think, hmm, I'm not getting the attention or the affection or the approval from my parents I thought I would. They are wrong. I'll do whatever I need to do to change their mind. And in positive discipline, this is called mistaken goals. As in their behavior is trying to get 
something and they end up with something entirely different where they are trying to get their needs met and it doesn't work. And so I'm going to walk you through two examples of this. Their behavior is always communication. Every human's behavior is a form of communication, okay? That's a whole take-home in and of itself, being able to kind of run with that understanding. But we're going to keep it localized here to what we're talking about. So I'm going to look at attention-seeking behavior first, then power-seeking behavior. Attention-seeking behavior. What it's trying to say is, notice me, reassure me you're still there, help me know that I matter even when you're busy or despite your stress or despite the new baby, reassure me and notice me. And that parent interprets the behavior as they're being selfish, they're being entitled, you know, at best they're being annoying, and they're And often their first instinct, because of how they were parented, makes them feel like, okay, this behavior needs to be stopped, corrected, and punished, so I need to put them in timeout, or I need to ignore them. So you can start to see where this vicious cycle is starting. If a attention-seeking behavior is trying to get the need or the goal met of attention, and then it's ignored... It doesn't diffuse the behavior. Instead, it fuels the behavior because it perpetuates the child's need to escalate the message that their behavior is trying to send and make it louder and make it bigger or say it in a different way. So that's going to make other behaviors pop up like whack-a-mole because it's still trying, they still have an unmet need. It's still trying to get it met. And it's maybe being initially diffused, but popping up somewhere else, or it's just making it even worse. That's what can happen with attention-seeking behavior. With power-seeking behavior, they're acting out again, and the behavior is trying to say, Hey, see me, let me help, help me feel capable and like I contribute to people bigger than me or something bigger than me. Help make my life make sense to me so I can feel in control. Help reduce my anxiety through these changes. Let me know that you get the message and you got this so I can relax. But... Often, and understandably, the parent sees this acting out for power-seeking behavior and they feel challenged, angry, triggered, or defeated because they are already trying what they know. And because of the way that they were parented, they are interpreting this behavior to start believing, oh no, my child is a bad kid. Something is wrong. Something is broken. Something needs to be fixed. Oh no, it's on me to fix it and I don't know how. So they have this growing fear because they care about their kid that makes them worry 
The child is not learning lessons. The child is not learning skills they need to be successful making friends or living in the quote-unquote real world. So then that leads that parent to start using more and more desperate measures to regain their own sense of control. It's like parent power-seeking behavior of arguing back and escalating arguments and yelling or punishing or giving in. And that, again, perpetuates and makes worse that initial behavior that the child is trying to use to communicate this message and get this need met. And it forces the child to perpetuate that message louder, bigger, or in a different way. So it feeds and fuels the initial behavior and then it continues and it spirals because it may even start with something attention-seeking and then it moves into something power-seeking and then even worse, it can start to be the child thinking I'm hurting so then I need to take revenge or I give up because I don't ever do anything right. And then it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy that is fueled and refueled over and over and fed by this vicious cycle. It's like the dogs we were talking about earlier. They, The more and more they sense a feeling of insecurity or uncertainty or fear or desperation from their parent, it subconsciously makes them feel like no one gets it or understands them, something about them is bad or wrong, or I'm on my own here, like the dog that overreacts to be overprotective. They can start to almost start to internalize messages like, I don't belong, I'm not enough, I'm not lovable the way I am, and then... We sit with that hurt too long as humans and we start to think, I'm hurting so much, I am going to hurt others. And that's where we see a lot of other yucky behavior when we get older. So all of our behavior at the end of the day to our loved ones is trying to say, please understand me, please help me. And not only do we not answer that message of, yes, I understand you. I'm here for you. I get it. Here's some positive love. Here's some positive control. Not only do we not get it, but we're missing the mark entirely, often reacting in the completely opposite direction of what they need without even realizing, like the need for attention and then ignoring or using timeouts or the need for power and then upping the ante on the power struggles, right? So we're fueling the behavior. We're perpetuating the behavior without even realizing it. We're inviting defiance in because we're not problem solving and meeting this deeper root of the behavior. So what I'm getting at here is how, you know, how do you get out of this cycle? What Number one, you realize you're in it. You do the work of stepping back and zooming out and not filling yourself with could have, would have, should have, and guilt and shame. Because again, what I remind you in almost every episode is 
You do the best you can for your child with the information and insight you have yesterday. When you learn something new today, you do something differently today. That's all you can do for your child and for yourself, right? So you just understand, oh, here's a piece of new insider information that helps me see what's going on in a new light. This is great. So when you show understanding, which I had a whole free training about, the game changer training, when you offer opportunities, positive opportunities to give them attention and give them control or power in positive ways, then the behavior they're using to communicate and get that need met is no longer needed to send that message. So then the behavior is eliminated. Sometimes that behavior needs more problem solving and support like replacements or like more coping strategies for managing emotions or other routines and rituals to support it being eliminated. But for the most part, when we're talking about this pattern or escalating pattern of attention-seeking or power-seeking behaviors, they are eliminated in the for the long term by addressing these deeper roots of these core needs. And this is only made possible, circling back to the whole Caesar Milan analogy, this is only made possible when the energy and the confidence and the patience level of the main caregiver is addressed as well. That calm energy coming from the parent so that the child can rest and feel at ease and have these needs met is an entire skill set in itself that I teach my clients as well. Because when you're in this vicious cycle, not only are you feeding the behavior, but you're feeding your fears. That's causing you to panic about the behavior that then causes you to clamp down with these desperate measures, understandably. And you as a parent, when you've gotten into this cycle, again, not by anyone's choice or fault, right? It's just like the the eye drops. It just starts someplace and then spirals because you didn't have, you weren't equipped to handle that initial initial situation. Then it kind of keeps going. You need support to stabilize your sanity and to create a new foundation to move forward on and build your toolkit. When you only have superficial tips and tricks or one new script to kind of run from, the resource you're learning from doesn't talk back. It doesn't answer your questions. It doesn't help you when you inevitably get stuck. And when the caregiver has no one to validate their fear and speak directly to it, when they don't know that they're truly not alone, they stay stuck. They stay afraid because that underlying fear is still there that there's something they're missing. There's something that's wrong. There's something about their child that needs to be fixed and they're not learning lessons and they're not being set up for success to make friends or, or, you know, be who they need to be in the real world. And if that deep root of the parent's fear isn't addressed, nothing sticks. You can't be consistent with anything because you're not able to get to that 
full sense of clarity and confidence that what you're doing is setting that for success and that their behavior is truly understandable and that you are on the trajectory to where you want to be. That's deep inner work that cannot be done and fit into the tiny margins of the fractions of time that you doom scroll. I'm sorry, it's just not. And so I hope by painting that picture and kind of illustrating that those examples, I can just help you see that there might be another explanation for the pattern that you're in with your child currently and the way to move forward that might be the exact opposite street of the way that run that you're going down right now. But there is hope. You can have a cautious amount of optimism that new answers and insight are just around the corner. And this doesn't have to be intense intervention and really, really strict behavior modification. It's actually just a whole lot more love and peace and joy in your home by changing that culture and changing your sense of inner peace and peace of mind as a parent, which is a whole lot more fun to do with friends. So I hope that you have been able to internalize this for yourself and your family. And if it resonates deeply, say hi on Instagram. Let me know you listen to this episode and uh, we can chat back and forth about what's going on at your house. And now I would really encourage you to send this episode to another caregiver of your child because they have not likely been equipped with this insight They are often not interpreting your child's behavior in this way, and they also have deeper-rooted fears that are perpetuating and feeding the cycle, and without addressing theirs, you also can't move forward with the support you need. So help create a more consistent level of understanding within your home or within your extended family by spreading this message. I really feel like this, even just this one little piece of understanding can be enough to spread a lot more compassion for humans everywhere. If we can translate this across relationships, I know I have work to do in this area for the other adult humans in my life. But if there's anything that I can help influence in the world, it is this message of just, we're doing the best we can. Your kids are doing the best they can. They are not maliciously out to make your day miserable. They don't like being miserable either. Nobody does. When they feel better, they do better. We don't have to make them feel worse to help them do better. It actually perpetuates that original behavior in the first place. When we meet these core needs of power and attention in really tangible, felt ways that you have to do very intentionally and specifically and strategically for strong-willed kids, it's not kind of just like a simple love language thing. It has to be at a felt level of, of safety and security. But when you do this, which is what I teach in my program, you 
unlock a whole new level of just feeling okay. Not constantly feeling like you're on edge, you're feeling held hostage in your home, and your child is no longer feeling like they have to be on that attack mode, danger is imminent, I'm on my own, nobody gets it, I gotta be the little tiny chihuahua that's the most aggressive dog you've ever seen. They don't have to feel like that anymore. That's what's possible. So I'll let you go after this, you know, (laughs) super long TED Talk, but please share this message with uh, your partner, um, your mother-in-law, a friend, and uh, share it in your Instagram stories and tag me, and I would love to hear what you thought of this episode, if it was enlightening at all or inspiring, um, or if you've already been far on this journey of figuring this out, I commend you. Your kids are so lucky to have you. If you are ready to do this work and transform your relationship with your strong-willed child and the culture in your home and your sense of inner peace, then schedule a consultation at the link in the show notes. I believe in you and I'm cheering you on. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Failing Motherhood. Your kids are so lucky to have you. If you loved this episode, take a screenshot right now and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me. If you're loving the podcast, be sure that you've subscribed and leave a review so we can help more moms know that they are not alone if they feel like they're failing motherhood on a daily basis. And if you're ready to transform your relationship with your strong-willed child and invest in the support you need to make it happen, schedule your free consultation using the link in the show notes. I can't wait to meet you. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. I believe in you and I'm cheering you on. Thank you.